Hello, and welcome everyone. I am Evan McCann, and this is The Hard Part. This shows a deep dive into strategies, founding stories, and more behind Canada's top founders, investors, and leaders. My guest today is Aaron Upright. Aaron is the co-founder of ZenHub. ZenHub helps teams ship great code faster with time-saving agile automations, less meetings, and more visibility in GitHub. In this episode, we discuss how Aaron came to co-found ZenHub, the impact that ZenHub has on teams building software products, and why Aaron's favorite books are not business books. Please enjoy my conversation with Aaron Upright. Aaron, I think the best place to start would be maybe a little bit of your background. I know you went to U of A and maybe some other work work experience or maybe just some background growing up, maybe you're entrepreneurial as a kid. What what really led you to start Zen Hub? Yeah, so so like you said, I actually started off in an engineering program at the University of Alberta. I actually ended up dropping out of that program though after my first year and I ended up moving into business. And it wasn't really because I didn't like engineering. Um, I've always had a soft spot for engineering, but I think what I was craving was more of a collaborative classroom experience. And I didn't feel like I was getting that from the engineering program. Um, Because I was so kind of interested in technology and engineering, one of the core streams that I actually ended up taking in business was a stream called MIS, which is Management Information Systems. And MIS is really all about the intersection of people, process, and technology. And that was always something that was really interesting to me. So even though I moved away from an engineering program, I kind of found myself still taking very technical classes that had a lot of overlap between uh, business and, and computer science, which was what I really liked. Um, how that led me to let, uh, to kind of start Zen Hub and get involved in Zen Hub is actually a direct kind of route there, which I think is really interesting. Um, I remember in one of my fourth year courses in MIS, one of the class projects we actually had to do was uh, a collaboration between some computing science students and some business students And we had to come up and develop requirements and design uh, a website, actually. And for a lot of the CS students that were in that course, it was actually an elective course. So off the side of their desk, you know, not necessarily something they were spending full time on between all their studies and focus on the CS courses. And I just remember it being really hard to actually get any answers from them or to get in touch with them when it came to this group project we were supposed to be doing. You know, they'd never show up for our meetings and... Um, if it sounds a lot like typical developers, you know, in the workplace, um, it kind of mirrored that my experience mirrored that in school. And uh, finally, one of the, the students that was in our group one day said, um, hey, if you want to get in touch with us and you want to collaborate with us, we're working over on GitHub. And I'd never heard of GitHub before as a platform. And so in 2008, when I was still in university, I signed up for the platform. And uh, that's when I actually first had created an account um, to come in and actually collaborate with the, the CS students in my group project. And so in in a funny enough way, my first experience with GitHub was actually through kind of collaboration with engineers. It wasn't actually coding. And uh, we found it to be a much better way of actually collaborating as a group and getting in touch uh, with each other and keeping each other up to date on what was going on in this project. And um, not not hard to see, you know, how there's a pretty close proximity to what we ended up doing in ZenHub, really trying to add that collaboration power layer on top of GitHub so that um, teams at scale that were building software, not just for class projects and for educational purposes, could really leverage all the collaboration features in GitHub to kind of power their project management. 
So I guess you could say that's how, how my experience in university kind of had a direct tie into the work I ended up doing and, and uh, starting Zen Hub. Now, so, so you kind of started Zen Hub or the early stages of that in university. What was the next step after that? Were you, you know, you're working through GitHub. Did you see some limitations there or some gaps that you wanted to, you thought there could be a product built there? I guess what happened after university? How did you kind of turn this from like kind of like a project within university into um, a product and a business? Yeah, so it was actually fairly serendipitous. I actually joined a company called Axiom Zen as my first full-time job right outside of school. And uh, Axiom Zen eight years ago was very much focused on you know building software for external clients and customers. And in between projects, whether it was downtime or off time that we've had, we'd kind of refocus our efforts or have the... Uh, time to kind of spend on internal efforts or internal projects that really excited us. And uh, one of the things that was being built on Axiom Zen at that point in time was Zenhub, which was uh, a project management solution that was meant to kind of address the friction we always came up against as an engineering team of having to constantly move away from GitHub or the other tools where we were working to go and update what we were working on or update the status of those items in other tools. And when I first kind of caught wind that, you know, this project internally was happening, it immediately resonated with me through that experience I'd had in university and kind of seeing firsthand the collaborative powers of GitHub. So I actually didn't start Zenhub when I was in university. I kind of serendipitously joined the project uh, in Axiom Zen as it was kind of um, initially taking flight uh, and then was very responsible for kind of the, uh, the efforts to kind of bring the product to market initially uh, and get our first few beta customers and testers and then make sure they had a great experience in the product. So that was kind of my involvement uh, in how I got started in Zenhub. Um, for people that might not, you know, I lived in Vancouver for a short time and, and, and I'm aware of Axiom Zen. Do you mind giving maybe a brief overview of what Axiom Zen's all about and how did you stumble upon them in 2008? They're obviously a lot more well-known now, but what was it like at that point and how did you stumble into it? Yeah, I mean, it was an amazing experience as your first job to join out of university. So eight years ago when I joined Axiom Zen, like I mentioned, was very focused on building external software for different clients and customers. We'd work with a lot of high net worth individuals or family offices or even small to medium-sized enterprise companies to try to augment their internal um, development teams and provide more capacity towards research or kind of innovation related projects. So the best way that I can kind of frame it is think of Axiom Zen as an innovation studio that really helped bring projects to life where maybe teams wanted to test ideas in emerging markets or with emerging technologies and didn't have the in-house capabilities or the expertise in order to do that. Um, and it's obviously a very exciting experience to be a part of kind of coming right out of university because it felt like we were getting to work with so many new technologies and getting to really to work at the forefront of emerging platforms and emerging new technologies. So very, very cool space. Um, I also mentioned kind of earlier in the conversation, you know, that when we weren't having projects on the go, we'd use a lot of the free time or downtime that we've had to kind of invest into internal ideas that we had. And that was part of the model when we weren't working on external work, we'd have the ability to refocus those efforts internally and a lot of the times the things we'd end up working on were to address pain points or frustrations that we had felt while we were working on some of those external projects. So we ended up building a lot of software, throwing away a lot of software too, um, that was meant to really address a lot of the pain points and friction points that we saw with the tools we were using at the time or 
to try to implement better processes across the company. And that's how some, some products like uh, you know, Dapper, uh, ZenHub actually came out of that model. Now Axiom Zen is a very different kind of mission because I think those kind of child companies from the parent company are now kind of uh, larger and more well-known, perhaps more well-recognized than Axiom Zen itself. And Axiom Zen very much has taken a supporting function to allow those companies to kind of grow and flourish. I think Dapper is now multiple hundreds of people um, from an initial team of, of less than five. And so uh, Axiom Zen has been a, a major kind of factor in helping accelerate the growth of these different companies. So that's interesting. So you're coming out of university, you're joining this, this studio, this innovation lab that's creating all these things externally and internally. What were some kind of key learnings or insights that you learned about creating a product um, and, and one that would be maybe external focus or one that would be like internal focus and things that you would throw away? Like what were some, was there any patterns you noticed that led to like, hey, this is going to be a success. We could even operate this externally. Is there any kind of insights there? Yeah, I think some of the projects we thought would be successful just based on our own frustrations turned out not to be. Um, some of the projects that we didn't necessarily have high hopes for ended up being very successful. Um, I don't know that there was necessarily a pattern or a predictor of you know what success necessarily was. Um, however, the approach that we took, I think, was very different than maybe a lot of a lot of uh, companies out there, or a lot of other innovation labs, you know, that are trying to get something perfect. Really, our focus was trying to get as much out as we possibly could, so that we could experiment and iterate on it, and then get feedback from people that were interested in these projects as quickly as possible. So. You know, we took a very scrappy approach in a lot of what we actually launched in trying to obviously get polished software out the door, but really just put software in the hands of people to see how they reacted and used it. And then the projects that we continued to invest in, you know, the, the dappers and the Zen hubs were the ones that really did find that product market fit and got that external validation from customers. So I think there's an important lesson to be learned there just around the importance of experimentation and iteration. Uh, and not taking, you know, forever to get things out the door, not, you know, waiting until something is perfect in order to ship it, but really just trying to get it into the hands of people to see how they're using it or sometimes not using it and then using that to make decisions on where future investments around those internal products and tools actually were. So was there any cool projects at Axiom Zen, um, that maybe didn't work out, but that that you remember fondly? <laughs> when I remember very fondly, I believe is a project called Talera. And we had tried to build more of a Tinder-like interface for, um, for recruiting and talent purposes. So, you know, oftentimes when you have applications, there's people that uh, you would really know very quickly are not a good fit based on their experience and based on their resume or even the amount of effort that they put into the application. And then you can also sometimes, you know, see through people's applications and through their resumes that there's people that are exceptional fits. And uh, one of the, the products that we had created around that was that kind of left swipe, right swipe mechanism of, uh, you know, trying to take those candidates that we believed had extreme potential and very quickly get them into a hiring process and then have a very quick way, I think, to kind of filter through those candidates that, you know, you can tell are maybe just applying to dozens of jobs at once or, you know, haven't taken the time to really thoughtfully put together a cover letter or, you know, write up why, uh, they think Axiom Zen or any other company for that matter is necessarily something they're interested in. So uh, that was one I had very fond memories of because uh, we thought it would have a, a ton of potential. And uh, it turned out when we put it into the market and started to get feedback on it, um, there's a, a lot of uh, 
a, a lot of uh, nuances of an applicant tracking system that we had kind of missed and um, that wasn't necessarily the best dynamic or the best mechanism of quickly sorting through applications. So on that thread of, you know, releasing things to market, so Zenhub, you know, internal project, and then you're kind of aligning with that from your, your work at U of A. What was it like when you first released it to market? Was, is it much different than what Zenhub is today? Was feedback initially really strong and you kind of just kept going with the flow? Like what did those early days look like after creation of the initial product? Yeah, in the early days, I think we were definitely filling a gap in GitHub's platform. There was really no issue management system or project management system that had been built on top of GitHub issues at the time. So if you remember back to the early days of GitHub, you know, you get these really long comment threads of people saying, you know, plus one, or I agree with this, hundreds and hundreds of comments, especially in open source software projects. And there's really no interface or mechanism to try to organize issues and bring this concept of prioritization and progress to them. So that's what the first version of ZenHub is really focused on is how do we take all of the exciting things that are happening in GitHub and the collaboration that's happening there amongst our development team and really start to add some lightweight project management on top of it so that we can really use it as a planning and tracking system, not just a system for code reviews and for actually merging code. Um, so that was really our initial mission. And uh, what followed was a really simple Chrome extension that just injected a task board into GitHub. And that was the first prototype we had created so that we could start to bring some hierarchy and some categorization and quite frankly, just organization to those different issues. Our mission has really evolved hugely since then though. And, and today we think a lot more about how do we make the entire software team more productive? So project management is obviously a component of that, but um, there's a lot more to that experience when it comes to productivity than just how do we manage projects and how do we move issues around on a board? Um, you know, we've really built out our product and evolved our product to include things like product road mapping to give teams a real time roadmap so that they can um, see how their planning is actually lining up with what's being worked on and the progress that's being made. We have a full suite of reports that we built into our product and, and engineering metrics that help teams understand productivity at a different level and really zoom into different metrics or different areas of the engineering team that they might want to directly improve. And so as we've matured as a platform, we've really shifted our focus from trying to fill gaps in GitHub's product to really driving more value for teams at scale um, that are, are solving really complex engineering problems and need more process in order to do that. And so the early days, you, you, you had that kind of Chrome extension, you launched it to the market. What was what were things that kind of led you to where you know Zen Hub is today? Like what a much broader platform was that? Were you just listening to users, gaining that feedback, understanding of how they were using the product? How did you really evolve from you know a simple Chrome extension to you know where you are now with a full suite of tools? A lot of it was through user feedback. So developers are very forthcoming, unsurprisingly, with feedback and where they want to see the experience improved. And in the early days, we spent a lot of time with our customers. We still do today, but we, maybe for an early stage company, some might say spent too much time with our customers, kind of um, really trying to listen to them, get a feel for where the product really wasn't meeting our needs, um, get a feel for what they wanted to see in the product and where uh, we could evolve the product. And then taking that feedback uh, internally and kind of designing our roadmap from there. So it's really a lot of our customers that drove us um, to be more mature as a platform because 
as we you know, evolved and, and brought larger customers in, you know, we'd hear about different challenges organizationally and from a change management perspective um, that we felt like we almost had a duty to address within these organizations. Um, a lot of teams got along really well with the concept of managing projects closer to the code. But those features I mentioned around road mapping and engineering analytics, a lot of those were really driven by the needs that teams had as they were scaling and the idea you know, of being able to measure productivity in a more quantitative way and find out where those gaps are, whether it's in the process or whether it's actually in the workflow and to be able to have meaningful ways to then address those. So a lot of the uh, maturity of our product and the evolution of our product did come directly from user feedback and from customer feedback um, that we had had from, from developers directly. Now I could imagine from like a collaboration productivity software, you know, you're looking at Figma, uh, products like that. What are some nuances that a collaboration or productivity software has versus, you, you know, something that might be more a bit standalone or siloed. I could imagine if you're building a product for multiple people within an organization or externally to work together, there's some little nuances there. Um, what are some interesting things you found out through that process? Yeah, I guess a big learning for us is this idea that software development really is a team sport. You know, we used to think of software development as developers, you know, off in a room somewhere authoring and writing code, but it's it's much more of an involved process that involves a lot of different stakeholders from across the organization. Like you said, whether that's a designer in Figma that's coming up with initial requirements and designs for what the the actual functional software is going to look like, uh, whether it's a QA tester that is going to be testing and, and really evaluating is what we built, you know, sufficient for the requirements that we had outlined all the way to even a product marketer who's responsible for partnering with that team to bring the product to market and to really develop a story around, you know, why that particular product or feature is actually um, impactful and meaningful for customers. So one of the lessons that we learned early on was that we need to be a lot more inclusive for those personas. And even though ZenHub is and will remain very much a developer first platform, we need to be thinking about the other teams and individuals on the team that are actually interacting with developers in order to get software into market. And that really led us down the path of, of going from ZenHub being a GitHub browser-based plugin to really starting to define and own our own platform. Uh, create a avenue for non-technical users, or maybe I should say non-developers, because uh, a lot of those personas are still very technical, but for non-developers to feel like they have a home in ZenHub as well, uh, without necessarily needing to be inside the GitHub interface or deal with the complexities or intricacies of the GitHub UI. And so a lot of that kind of drove us to create our own platform, create our own system of logins so that now people don't even necessarily need a GitHub account in order to interact with certain parts of our platform. For example, you can see a roadmap and, and utilize that roadmap without needing to have uh, code level access in GitHub. Uh, and so we've really tried to broaden our horizon and be a lot more inclusive of the other personas that are involved in software development rather than just doubling down on the developer. Now, from a, a productivity standpoint, um, how do you how do you create a platform that's not too cumbersome or impacts developers or you know maybe has to change their their daily process how they work how did you really develop a, a platform that you know fits into the flow of work you know can 10x that productivity and scale but is not a cumbersome thing of you know notifications and oh you're behind yeah. and 
all this? How did you, how did you do that balancing? Out? Yeah, I think, you know, Zen hub came from this idea that uh, context switching is a really uh, expensive cost for developers. And so from the initial version of the product, which was that Chrome extension that injected a task board into GitHub, you know, we were very much thinking through that lens of how do we minimize and reduce context switching for developers so they can stay inside the tools and ecosystems that they're most comfortable with, do their work there, and we can see that reflected actually in the system. So that, that battle in context switching was a big element of how we've done that in, uh, previously. And it still very much fits into our product ethos today in terms of how do we minimize context switching for developers and other technical roles that are participating in the software development process. Another big way that we've done that recently is by trying to build more asynchronous experiences into our product. We know that today more and more teams are taking a hybrid or remote first uh, approach to work. And so we've actually built a lot of experiences in our product around this idea that things can be done asynchronously. We don't necessarily have to have people co-located or physically co-located in the same space in order to have you know, some of these meetings or in order to plan and track work. Um, you know, a way of thinking about that in our product is you know, we provide teams with a way to actually do planning poker in an asynchronous way so that uh, team lead can ask their developers to vote on how complex they think an issue is, the developer can put forward an estimate in terms of how complex they think something is. And those estimates aren't revealed until the whole team has actually had a chance to come in and, and add their estimation or their story point value. Now, the practicality of that is that because those estimates aren't actually revealed, it means that developers in different time zones can come together and collaborate and offer their opinion on something without necessarily biasing each other. And instead of getting the entire team together into a Zoom meeting, and kind of hashing it out, we can let people do so on their own time when it kind of fits best with their schedule rather than having to pull them away from coding or pull them away from work, force them into a meeting to have to do that synchronously um, and uh, in person. You know, we found a way for teams to actually do that uh, in an asynchronous way. And it's really led to a lot of benefits in terms of the amount of time that we've cut down for teams when it comes to planning, and when it comes to getting prepared for some of these things like sprint planning and backlog refinement. I, I guess it'd be, it'd be interesting to touch on, you know, your view on like unlocking the productivity of developers. As you know, we're moving to a, a world that every company will become a tech company. There's developers absolutely everywhere. There's even, you know, people have issues hiring and retaining developers. So how do you envision Zen Hub from a sense of unlocking that productivity? And if you can unlock a developer's time, ultimately you can change the shift of more products launch, more feature launch, and like a better tech ecosystem overall. Yeah, it's a big question. Um, we actually recently did a developer happiness survey. We surveyed 380 English speaking developers across the world. We actually conducted this as independent research so that we weren't just sending it out through our channels and through our customer bases. Uh, so that we weren't kind of biasing the process. And what we really found through that report is that two of the biggest contributors to developers being unhappy in their roles were uh, lack of work-life balance and not working on what is perceived as meaningful work. And so I think those are two really meaningful findings that we um, have really tried to action within how we built our product and actually how we, we bring our product to market and how we, um, uh, how we put our product in front of developers. And I think those are important findings for organizations as well. Um, you, know, you need to be giving developers quality work or they get most fulfillment, at least from quality work, um, as well as you know, knowing that they're doing that work in a way that bounces 
the uh, priorities of the organization and obviously needing to move fast and move quickly uh, with the priorities of the individual, which is needing to find that work-life balance. So I think coming back to your question, how do we create kind of that better ecosystem for developers? You know, I think some of the findings from this report that we're launching are going to be really impactful for that. Um, but the, those two that I mentioned of making sure that, you know, we're giving um, developers, you know, meaningful work to do and we're encouraging work-life balance, um, you know, that, that relates to context switching, it relates to uh, the tools that organizations actually use. I think it's a big, has a big part to play in developer happiness and then directly a part to play in developer retention as well. Where do you see Zen Hub fitting in with, you know, maybe not solving those two issues, but maybe helping with like driving more meaningful work for a developer? How do you see kind of a, that collaboration productivity, you know, that, you know, unlocking data into how people are working together? How do you how do you envision that really helping with that main concern? There? I mean, one of the things that we've heard from our customers is, you know, part of the value of Zen Hub is that it takes a very integrated all in one approach. And rather than having to maintain three separate tools, like a road mapping tool, an engineering analytics tool and a project management tool, Zen Hub kind of brings all of those elements together into a single product. And what we've heard from teams is that that means less integration costs and less integration work for them. It's a really interesting topic, and there's an analyst at Redmond named Stephen O'Grady that writes and talks a lot about this idea of a developer experience gap, which is, you know, as the number of development tools or developer tools has actually increased, it's become increasingly complex and organizations have had to devote actually more time to trying to integrate all of these tools together to really tell a full story for the organization. Now, as that relates to more meaningful work, you know, I think a lot of developers that we talk to would prefer to be writing application code and working on application development than they would be, you know, trying to integrate internal tools together to kind of really tell a full picture around the software development lifecycle. So that's where I think tools like ZenHub and other tools that take a very all-in-one type approach and do a lot of that integration heavy lifting themselves can really kind of benefit uh, developers by allowing them to focus on meaningful work such as application development rather than having to, you know, string different tools uh, together. Um, so I think that's that's a really big finding and something that's really important for us as we think about how do we continue um, to take that approach and how we build our product rather than building very fragmented siloed experiences and then putting the onus on developers to really integrate those into other systems and other tools across their uh, development stacks. Now, when you, when you kind of talk about silos and, you know, different teams within the organization, how do you think about, you know, like, let's say Microsoft using Zen Hub, uh, multiple different teams, multiple different uh, people within the organization in, in different um, departments. How do you really think about like launching a product and making it successful and growing it? Like, um, you, you know, you sign on with a company, you know, a handful of people are using it. How do you grow that experience throughout the organization? How do you kind of think about that? Yeah, well, we've always benefited from a healthy amount of organic adoption and organic expansion. Um, I think by being a developer, developer first tool, developers naturally share products uh, with each other that they really enjoy using and that they, they've had positive experiences with. And so that definitely helps us out from an organic growth perspective. Outside of that, though, we've actually invested a lot of time, effort, and, and money, frankly, in building our customer success function within our organization so that we can really try to partner with those types of customers to make them successful with our product from day one. 
So even in a company as big as Microsoft or, you know, name another Fortune 500 company, um, you know, we oftentimes only start with an initial team within that organization. And that might only be, you know, 30, 40, 50 people. Um, but obviously there are many, many more developers within a lot of these large organizations than that initial team. We find that if we're able to work with that team really closely and make them successful with our product, um, that they're far more likely to share us in other areas of the organization. And it becomes a far easier kind of conversation to go to either a manager or to go to the leadership level and kind of ask for those introductions to other teams when we're able to showcase and actually prove the value that we've added to that team. So that's a big part of the story and a big part of where our customer success team will partner with those initial teams of 30, 40, or 50 to really make sure that we're delivering on our product and really make sure at the end of the day that they're successful in adopting our product and quite frankly, adopting better process um, part of the time as well. Um, so they can kind of get to that promised land in our product. And then we can use that as a foundation to grow on uh, into other teams in the organization. And how would, how would you measure success from a company that uses Zen Hub? Like obviously productivity gains, overall happiness, you know, lots of users using it all the time. What are the success factors that you're really looking yeah, for? Yeah, I think all of those factor in. I would say really it does depend on the goals and the definition of success that the team has. And teams start off in very different states. You know, we have some customers that come to us that are really just looking for a better way to get organized. You know, they're tracking requirements or tracking projects in a spreadsheet, for example, that needs to be very manually updated. And for them, a big step is kind of moving that process into a tool like Zen Hub so they can track it in a way that's just closer to the code. So, you know, for that team, the definition of success might just be building a very simple process and a way to kind of organize and build hierarchy into that information through things like epics or through a task board. But then we do have teams that are a lot more mature in their agile journey. Uh, maybe they've adopted a particular framework like Scrum or like Kanban. And what they're looking for is to actually improve on certain metrics. So, you know, they'll have an idea or some measurement of their velocity, and they'll be using a tool like ZenHub to try to improve that velocity or that baseline. Maybe they're looking to measure and understand their cycle and lead time of how fast it's taking to go from idea to actually production code. And so they'll be using our product to measure success that way. Um, another way we see teams measure success is being able to socialize and share what's happening in the development organization with a much wider internal audience. You know, we've worked with a lot of teams where the primary problem we're trying to solve is, hey, the development team feels like we're in control and we have an understanding of what's coming, but we have a real difficulty in sharing that with other areas of the organization. So for us, success with ZenHub means we're able to more effectively share what we're doing and bring visibility to other parts of the organization so that they can understand how our different software projects are actually progressing and you know, we can flag potential blockers and risks to those projects much earlier and get support from them much earlier than if we were you know, operating in a silo, which we previously have with, with other tools. So I guess a long answer to that question, but it really does depend on the goals and objectives of the team. And we see teams at different levels and different stages of maturity, all types of different teams that are, are using ZenHub for various things. I like that underlying thread there of like that onboarding, really understanding the customer, the, the CS experience on Zen Hub side. What have you found has made your onboarding successful or places that you would improve on? Because I think, you know, with the nature of the tech industry right now, with a lot of startups, you know, coming out and like, oh, we're building this 
great sexy product and i think a lot less attention is done on the onboarding side so can you just touch on how important that is how you've like really done that well yeah i think a lot of companies focus their onboarding efforts on tool adoption which in our view or our world view is only kind of half the problem you know we can get a team to adopt zen hub very well but the, the other part of the problem that we need to kind of engineer for solve with that team is is quite frankly their process in general you know, we'll have a lot of teams that say, hey, I want to, we're, we're currently at A and I want to get our process to B. Maybe that's adopting story point estimation or being able to measure a burn down on a sprint by sprint basis. And so a lot of the coaching and onboarding efforts aren't just, hey, here's how you can get into the product and make use of the features and functionality. We actually work with teams and try to coach them into building better workflows and building better process. So for us, that's been the other half of the equation that our onboarding team is really focused on. And the end output of that is a better relationship with customers where they feel not only have we added value from a tool perspective and, you know, our trusted solution that is kind of delivering on its promises, but we've really helped them get to a better place when it comes to their workflow and their process. So they feel more in control or they're able to, you know, successfully um, inform the rest of the organization on, on different projects and how things are going or where risks are starting to form. Um, so I would say that's been how our approach to onboarding and success has really fundamentally been different. And I think it's been a huge benefit to us being able to build really strong champions and really strong relationships in a lot of these initial teams we work with that can then help us get into other areas of the organization or want to advocate for us to be used in other areas of the organization because they've had such a positive impact and positive experience with our team. What was... Uh during onboarding or bringing on a customer, what was the, 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 the craziest thing that was asked for, or what was like the biggest problem that was out there that you were ultimately able to kind of solve or help with? Yeah. I, I don't know if I can think of the craziest ask. I'd, I'd have to um, spend maybe a bit more time there. We do have a lot of customers or a lot of uh, initial maybe prospects that we've met with that have really wanted us to do custom development in our product. And it's something we've really tried to steer away from. Um, you know, we, we abide by this idea that Zen Hub should be commercial off the shelf software rather than a white labeled product we kind of provide to organizations that they can then infinitely customize. I think that's been a large part of why we've been able to be successful across such a broad base of customers um, because we, we provide uh, those primitives and the kind of those best practices. And we've had to say no to customers in terms of customizations, even when it's come at the expense of you know, potential contracts or, or higher contract values with certain customers, um, because we believe, you know, fundamentally that there are best ways of doing things and uh, don't necessarily want to um, support bad organizational habits within our product. The other thing where customization can make things really complex is, you know, can slow software down. It can make it more unperformant. It's very difficult to actually maintain over time. And so by kind of pushing everyone down the path of, of a single experience, we've been able to avoid a lot of the the downsides and obvious negatives that come with customization as well. So uh, during the onboarding process, you know, we, we still do have uh, prospects and customers from time to time have those custom requests, but when they come in, we try to route them through, you know, our regular feedback channel so that if it is something someone wants to see in the product, we're really opening that, that up to our community for wider feedback. And if enough people are upvoting it or enough people are saying, yeah, this would be really useful for our team as well then we can make that decision to bring it into our roadmap and potentially work on it rather than just, you know, committing to things to get a contract done or uh, committing to customization in order to make a single customer happy. 
with that feedback that comes in from a specific customer and you're, and you're sharing that with the broader community, um, have you had experience with that with like, Hey, this one company's asked for this feature and ultimately it turned out to be, you know, a universal thing that we could roll across the whole organization. I guess I'm, I'm interested to, you know, like a lot of people I'm having on are maybe a bit more early stage and they're just building that singular product, mm -hmm. but you're at that stage where there's an established product and now you're looking to expand features or like the roadmap of your own company. So I guess, um, how do you really determine, Hey, what's the next step? What's the next feature based off of feedback or just internal company feel? Yeah. So, I mean, in the early days, it was very different than it is now because the product was so nascent and we were still building, um, there were very obvious things that we needed to add. And so things like reporting, things like, um, basic road mapping, things like the ability to build hierarchy around issues through epics. Those were all very obvious um, kind of features and functionality to build into our product because people that were using other project management solutions and other pieces of productivity software, you know, had those very familiar experiences that they wanted to see uh, kind of mirrored in our product. So there were some obvious things in the early days, but as we've kind of grown as a company and really gone down the path of evolving from project management to productivity management, We've really tried to approach customer feedback through the lens of, is it something that the market wants and that customers want, but also does it fit with our ethos as a product and really the pillars that we're building our product around, which are you know automated agile experiences, actionable productivity insights, and real-time roadmaps. And so we try to relate feedback to those three kind of core pillars of our product and uh, understand how that feedback can potentially uh, influence the positive direction and, and kind of evolution of those three pillars of our product. If feedback kind of exists, you know, outside of that, or it's, it's separate from that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have uh, the same weight in terms of um, feedback that maybe directly fits with our ethos as a product and where we're trying to really take the company. I'll give you an example. A lot of teams have actually asked for us to build documentation solutions. So, you know, we want to have a writing experience around Zen Hub where we can write out requirements and, uh, you know, then translate those requirements into epics and then obviously break down and decompose that work to be able to track it in Zen Hub and GitHub. And we've kind of taken the approach of we're not going to be a documentation solution. There's some fantastic tools out there in the market that already exist, uh, you know, whether it's a notion or whether it's even something as simple as Google Docs or uh, Word to tackle that. And so in cases where that feedback doesn't necessarily align with our product roadmap, that's where we try to take an integration focused approach. And I would recommend that a lot of other companies maybe um, take that same approach of, okay, it's maybe not a core capability that we want to build out, but it's something that's an important part of the journey or an important part of the conversation for customers. So maybe instead of building out ourselves, how can we go look at the other best of breed vendors like a notion or, you know, like a Figma and figure out a way to integrate, you know, into those tools so that we are giving teams an option there, but it's maybe not something that we're going to own ourselves or build ourselves. I love that focus on integration there. I guess maybe a bit of a different path right now, but as ZenHub, you know, I'm, a, I'm sure it initially started with a small core group and now it's a larger organization. How has that been for you as, you know, a leader, a co-founder of the organization? What are some things you've learned throughout this journey of starting a company, growing a company? Uh, would there be any kind of, you know, one, two, three highlights or just key learnings that you've learned throughout this process? 
Yeah, I mean, we've, we've gotten a lot of things right and also a lot of things wrong on, on kind of the journey of building a company. Um, I guess as, as it applies to our product, you know, one of the big learnings and, you know, I think it's a relevant learning for anyone else that's building on top of another platform is that platforms can be great foundations to build upon, but uh, we need to really figure out ways to reduce platform dependency long term. And I think we waited even a little bit too long to kind of decouple ourselves from GitHub and really build our own platform. To the point where we saw it, you know, starting to become detrimental to some of our metrics and new trial starts where, you know, people needed a GitHub account in order to start a trial. That's no longer the case, but, you know, we really gave up control over our own, you know, signup flows and user flows because of how closely we coupled with GitHub. Now, obviously, GitHub is a fantastic platform to build on top of both technically and as a business. Um, however, you know, it's a big learning lesson that it can be a great launch pad to start from. Um, but I definitely, you know, if I were to look back or rewind the clock, would have really thought about what is our platform story going to be a lot earlier in the course of the business. And the other thing, and this is more from an internal company building perspective, you know, one of the things I think that really um, helped us accelerate in the early days was adopting or co-opting that kind of experimentation and iteration approach from Axie and Zen. You know, a lot of the early employees that were working on Zen Hub were ex-Axie and Zen employees or sometimes still working on axioms and products. And so everyone still very much had that ethos of rapid experimentation and rapid iteration to figure out what works. And as we matured as a company, you know, we, we sacrificed some of that scrappiness and that iteration um, to try to come up with more polished experiences. And um, there was points in time where, you know, we took too long to get things in the market. And, you know, when we did eventually launch them, they maybe didn't get the reception that we initially thought they would. And then we had to go back and make iterations from there. So, you know, I would say another big learning has been, um, you know, obviously we need to mature a process as a company and, you know, need to ensure that we're putting up high quality software for our customers. Um, but we we moved a little bit too far away from that experimentation and iteration idea um, to the point where it was holding us back from getting new things out the door. And we've really tried to change our process in, in recent uh months and years um, to bring more of that attitude and bring more of that back into how we actually build software. What are some ways that you can really keep that, those kind of values early day of experimentation going? Is it, you know, I, you mentioned earlier in the, in the conversation, you know, you know, 20, 10% of your time can be used on internal projects. You know, Google's famous for doing this. Is that a good way? Are there, are there other, um, you know, is it just core values of the company? Is it what you're looking for when you hire people that come in building that culture? Like what are some really good ways that you can keep that alive? Yeah. I mean, it, I think it's definitely something we prioritize and look for when we're hiring. It's definitely something that we've co-opted as a value of our company, that idea of rapid experimentation and iteration. But a lot of it has actually come back to how we address some of these challenges that we're having, giving people more autonomy over coming up with a solution and instead of, you know, giving them a solution and saying, hey, go build this, give them a problem and trust that they'll come up with a solution um, to the problem. And then, you know, doing so in ideally uh, an iterative way so that, you know, that solution that they come up with isn't one that's going to take two to three months to build. Um, what can be delivered, you know, on a shorter time frame that we can get out into market and figure out if it's working or if it's not working and then iterate on it from there. So that's been a big shift for us. Instead of you know proposing solutions to teams to then build, giving them problems and challenges, and saying, "Hey, you know, one of the challenges that we're having is is trying to get more teams to uh, connect their GitHub account, for example, to unlock more experiences within our product." 
um, giving teams a challenge to improve that metric or giving teams that problem rather than saying, here's what we're going to go and build, you know, come up with the technical requirements on how we're actually going to go and deliver that. Um, and so that's been a big part of, of how I think we've navigated uh, that shift, um, trying to give teams more autonomy and trying to place more trust into teams um, to kind of solve, solve those problems. Now, when you're, when you're looking at Zen Hub, like how far you've come to date, and then you're kind of forward looking onto where the company is going, are you looking to become like that de facto productivity analytics, like collaboration tool for developer and like the broader teams that surround them, uh, like for North America globally, like what is kind of that mission or vision going forward from here? Our mission really is centered around how do we make software teams more productive? And like I said, that definition of a software team is ever evolving. It's more inclusive of other personas than it ever has been before. And so a big part of how we're measuring that and a lot of effort, you know, that we're working on currently is really to create more of a platform around ZenHub so that uh, there's less friction and it's easier than ever for those non-developer personas um, to collaborate with their development teams on how they build and how they ship software. Um, so that's a big you know, part of our mission of where we want to be. And, and a big thing that we want to become known for is not just being a great developer-first project management solution that has you know, planning and tracking capabilities. We really want to be known for making software teams more productive and really um, opening up software teams and all the great work that's happening in development organizations making all of that work visible and accessible to the rest of the organization so that everyone can come together and collaborate on delivering software. Uh, that, that's really the, uh, the top line mission for us. And as I think about the coming years, really the position we want to take in the market and really what we want to be known for as a product and as a company. I love that. So we could jump into the quick fire round here. Uh, so for the first question, what is the best book you have read or maybe one that's just sitting on your bookshelf that you need to crack into? Shamefully, I'm not a big reader. Um, so, you know, when I do read, I, I try actually really hard not to read business books. And I know maybe some of your guests before have had really insightful books that they've read there that are maybe really helpful to help frame problems or get new perspective on things. Um, but uh, unfortunately, that's not me. So the best book I've actually read recently was a, uh, a fictional book called Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. I'm not sure if you've read that before. But it's a it's a fun story, and um, it's actually I enjoy reading for that purpose to kind of escape from the day to day rather than doubling down and kind of uh, you know finding business books that might help um, you know navigate some of the sound challenges and situations. I certainly understand why that's helpful, but uh, but yeah, I, I try really hard to stay away from those books personally. Uh, plus one on Hail Mary, it's a fantastic read. So I guess. Uh... For, for you, that's interesting from a, like a book perspective or, you know, podcast, whatever entertainment you're looking for, you're looking for more of an escapism versus like, you know, piling on more learning and, 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 and things yeah. like that. And I certainly appreciate there's a lot to be learned from, from other people and, you know, from listening to podcasts and consuming content and, you know, reading books and material or reading blog posts. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, I, I do dedicate some of my spare time to doing that and, and trying to learn from other people. I really love conversations like this. I really love having conversations with people. And I find that that's kind of where I learn the most is just getting out in front of people and talking with them or talking to them um, and kind of understanding their perspective on challenges and problems. So 
Um, but that might be, uh, that might be just me. I know a lot of other people out there really do like to, you know, really read business books and kind of double down there. I agree with the conversation piece. Uh, number two, we, we kind of touched on it, but what are you most excited about this year, whether that's work-related or even just personal? Yeah, um, I'll touch on it from a work-related perspective and kind of double down on, on our platform. This is something that we launched for the first time in April, the ability for someone without a GitHub account to actually sign into ZenHub and get value from our product for the first time, which was uh, you know, after eight years of building in the GitHub ecosystem, a pretty, a pretty special thing to be able to launch. We're really excited on the future of that platform and where we're going to be able to take it so that, again, we can bring more visibility to non-technical and non-developer roles throughout the rest of the organization. Um, I'm really excited about, like I said, the evolution of that platform and how it's not just going to enable us to add more value to teams, but also enable us to integrate with even more tools across the developer stack. GitLab is one that we have in mind. We see an increasing number of development teams that are um, adopting GitLab into their workflow. And so that's really exciting that we're going to be able to um, pretty quickly be able to offer an integration there. And there's a lot of other places where developers are working that we also want to have a presence as well. And the platform is our path to being able to do that. Uh, final question. How do you deal with hard times? Like being a founder, creating something new, managing a team, what works for you? Is it, you know, nature is it you know reading hail mary and books like that like what are things that help you really stay centered? yeah so i think it's two things the first thing is whenever i'm having a tough day whenever there's a particularly tough problem is is to go find other people and talk with them um you know living in your head around these problems or internalizing them is a terrible terrible way to kind of deal with challenges and problems so i i find personally you know i really like to vocalize when i'm having challenges or bring them up with people and talk through them with people uh, whether it's, you know, my, my partner, uh, whether it's, you know, our, our CEO, you know, I like to, uh, to be vocal about those. And, and it always helps me kind of ration through them or think through them if I'm able to kind of present them and get other perspectives on that. So um, I guess that would be uh, one thing I would say is, you know, if you are having a particularly tough day or there's hard times you're going through as a founder, uh, try not to live in those times alone. Go reach out to your network, go reach out to your friends, go reach out to your family and just talk through them because, um, being alone in your head can be a, a, a tough place to be sometimes. Um, the other thing I really try and do is is get outside and get active. You know, I live in Squamish, which is a bit north of Vancouver uh, in the Coast Mountains. And so it's really easy for me to get outside and go running or hiking or biking. And those are all activities I love doing. And at some level, they provide a, a great distraction when I'm having a tough day or going through a really challenging time. But um, it's also a great way to decompress and, you know, just to kind of take your mind off of work and uh, get out in, into something that's that's bigger than work or bigger than the problems you're having and kind of enjoy that. Um, so getting that new perspective and being out in nature is another way that I, I kind of deal with hard times. Super jealous there. I love, I love Squamish, beautiful part of the country. Uh, Aaron, it's been a fantastic conversation, learning more about you, Zen Hub, uh, and, and everything there. I'm so appreciative of your time and it's been a lot yeah, of fun. Thanks so much, Evan. Appreciate you having me. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe, share with friends, and reach out with guest suggestions. Check out the podcast description for my social and website links to stay up to date with all future episodes.